Hello and welcome to Victoria's Living Christian Center's Victoria's Living Podcast. Victoria's Living Christian Center is a church that strives to stand for goodness and is committed to encourage and show a better way. A church whose vision is to see God's people living a victorious life. This is accomplished through community outreach, education, healthy living, and support groups while still providing spiritual growth. Our goal is to meet the needs of man, spiritually as well as naturally. So welcome and enjoy. Good evening and welcome to Victoria's Living Christian Center Gospel Bible Chat Room. I am Prophetess Ruth Gardner. We are here on this evening with our Bible study series, The Secrets to Generational Curses, from uh, written by Apostle Alexander Pagani. We're going to get started with our study on tonight. Let's open up in prayer and let's get started. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we thank you, God, for bringing us together, Lord, to learn of you, to speak of you, God. And God, we pray, God, that as we go through this lesson, God, that we are open-minded to search ourselves, God, and be able to point out anything that may be dwelling within us that is not like you, God. Help us, Lord God, to be able to turn our lives around, God, that our lives line up with you. Father God, we pray, God, in the name of Jesus, that you show us any flaws in us, God. Turn on the light and show us, God, every single thing, things that may be in us that we may not have noticed, things that may have been ingrained in us as a child, things that have been following us, God. Help us, Lord God, to be delivered, God, that we may live upright and righteous before you, God. For God, in that day, we want to hear, well done, thy good and faithful servant, God. God, we want to live right for you, God. And God, we thank you, God, for teaching us your ways and for your, your sacrifice on the cross. And God, we pray, God, that you just continue to get the praise, glory, and honor out of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you, Alfred. Um, so we are on chapter 8 which is uh, entitled Satan's Weapons of Mass Destruction. Uh, just to give a recap, last week we finished up chapter seven and we covered the levels of depravity. And um, there's evil, wicked, and then there's profane. And then uh, we also talked about special curses and sins and temporary curses as opposed to unintentional curses and how... Um, you know, we can basically say things and do things unknowingly and we can cause a curse. Um, we can speak a curse on ourselves. You know, sometimes we don't realize that we're saying things or doing certain things that is not, um, it's not agreeable in the word of God and we can wind up um, producing a curse on ourselves. Praise the Lord. So, um, so that's just a recap of last week's lesson. Anybody have any questions about it? Anything they want to comment about it? About the differences between evil, wicked, and profane? And have you noticed 
that like when you like to me like when I read the word now those keywords like wicked and profane I'm looking at those words that I'm paying more attention to it's also being mindful of the things we say too like when we're talking anyone no okay yes yes you have yeah okay. like with certain co-workers and stuff yeah definitely good because um that's the purpose of this book is to kind of just make us aware of what's going on aware of our surroundings aware of how we interact with people because there's you know there's there's wicked people there's evil people and there's profane people um just to give you a little uh share something with you i have a patient a patient that um has a history and this is not the same patient the one the one that was yelling about give me some crackers this is another guy this is another patient and he um he has a history. Now it hasn't happened with us, but they told us to be like, watch him. He's 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 mean. And I would say he's wicked. Um, he has a, a, a motorized scooter that he rolls around in. He don't have like a regular wheelchair, but motorized scooter. And if you're in his way, he runs you over. Like just straight up full full throttle <laughs> and run people over. He um has been seen taking food from the other patients' trays that he'll walk right up and take their food. Um he um says heart, he says mean things. And um this last thing we found out is that he hasn't taken a bath in over a month. And homeboy's right. And he, he, and we were like, okay. So I, so there's something there. There's something at work there. And I was like, whoa, this is interesting. Um, there's definitely something at work there, but, um, and this is all starting to come to the surface now where it wasn't before. And I found that rather interesting, but yeah, he is a trip. And he said something um to one of my um co-workers um that was kind of you know kind of off the cuff kind of like left field and we all just kind of looked at him like okay <laughs> are we wrestling against fresh and blood <laughs> are we wrestling against spiritual wickedness in high places because <laughs> and i'll keep you up i'll keep you abreast on that but yeah, there's some things that are that are starting to um, surface. I don't want to say manifest, <laughs> but there's some things that we're starting to see. Like, yo, what's up, with homeboy? But um, yeah. So, but he's but and when I was told this, I was like, really, Mister Someone saw he doesn't. He's just quiet. It's to himself. He don't say anything. He seems pretty okay. They're like, uh-uh, don't let that quietness fool you. And they said, just watch him. Be careful. Just watch him. I said, why? He like swing off on people? <laughs> just let me know. But yeah. But when you look at him, you wouldn't think that. But he is, 
and the way they describe the things he does is he wicked he's just mean that's a he's a mean person and so i was kind of like just looking at that and just kind of taking note on certain things and his mannerism is a really really interesting very interesting but anyway so thanks for sharing that sister shamine you know, how you're like kind of looking at certain coworkers, you look at different things that came to mind when I, when you said that about this particular patient, um, how he's been displaying his, his actions, his behavior. Um, so going on to chapter eight, we have Satan's weapons of mass destruction. He pointed out seven, I think it is, he said, seven um, weapons that like, okay, yeah, there's seven of them, and he calls them the weapons of mass destruction because they're, they're not really seen a lot in scripture, but they really, really um, cause some havoc, and it opens the doors to other things. And they are vanity, envy, gluttony. Ooh, I didn't know gluttony was one. Ooh, Jesus. Racism, <laughs> dishonor, homosexuality, and hip-hop culture. Okay, so let's look at, now I don't know if we're going to be able to get through all of these. I know we got to up to page 180, recovering. Um, but we'll try to see if we can get through up to 180 because there's a lot of stuff that he talks about with these different um, sins. Now, first one is vanity. And I was surprised, I was surprised that when he pointed out that vanity, Hebrew word for vanity is jahir, which means haughtiness, boastfulness, and conceit, like someone who is puffed up, you know, who smell, as old folks say, they smell themselves. And um, he also points out that honestly, and I agree with what he's saying, that it wasn't pride that got him kicked out. Pride was a result. The sin was vanity. And I found that very interesting. And he also pointed out that vanity opens the door to pride. Um, you know, we were taught that pride, Satan was prideful, but he was also vain. He was more because his because of his beauty, he was a beautiful sheriff. You know, he was adorned with all types of stones, and he was beautiful. He was beautiful to look at. His music was was melodic, was heavenly. You know, it was beautiful. Everything about him was beautiful, and he let that pretty much go to his head to the point where he um, wanted to be like God. He wanted to be worshiped like God because he was so full of, of pride because he was beautiful and he got so, he became obsessed with himself, honestly, how he looked, you know, and it's kind of scary because, you know, certain people, you know, you can get caught up in yourself and like, you know, people take a lot of selfies and stuff because they, they, you know, they, you know, they like the way they look and, you know, every time they turn around, they're taking the selfie 
I even said that for myself. I said, you know, let me stop taking all these selfies because I've been taking a lot of selfies. And I got a little nervous when he said this. I said, mm, Lord, help me, Jesus. But according to Ezekiel 28, 17, he says, your heart was filled with pride because of all your beauty. Your wisdom was corrupted by your love of splendor. Now, if you look at the same scripture, I pulled it up in um, King James Strong's, what gives you the concordance for the words. And it says, Ezekiel 28, 17 says, thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. And when I look, look for the word brightness, it says beauty. and also splendor so yeah because of your beauty you were corrupted by the love of your beauty you were you were you fell in love with yourself and you this is what you know Ezekiel was saying that Lucifer fell in love with himself because of his beauty and as you can see, I'm reading now from the book on page 168. As you can see, Satan became vain in his thinking because God had created him to be the most beautiful thing of all his creations. Ezekiel 28 describes in detail just how beautiful Satan was. And it was boiled down to one thing. He became full of himself. The Bible says that his wisdom was corrupted because of his beauty, not his pride. Okay, and it doesn't say how long it took for Satan to sin, but it does say that over time he became filled with iniquity. And that's something else too. Notice is iniquity, not sin. We know when we already covered about iniquity and iniquity is committing unrepented sin over long periods of time. Satan sinned with vanity and it gradually contaminated every other area of his being. And that's what vanity does to a person. They become so full of themselves that ultimately it consumes them. They become haughty, which means to belittle and look down on others and, and become conceited. So vanity is the door that leads to pride. You understand? It wasn't so much pride that got him kicked out, but his, the love for himself. He became vain in his thinking and, you know, he fell in love with himself. So he pretty much loved himself more than he loved God. Um, another example was in the garden with Eve. And I always saw that. I always noticed this with this scripture where it says, um, and when she saw that the tree was good and for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes and the tree to be desired to make one wise, she took the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. That's Genesis 3 and 6. Um, and he points out before Eve touched that fruit, it was beautiful to the eyes, vanity. And she became enamored. I can't say this word, y'all. <laughs> Enamored. 
There we go. Enamored with this beauty. <laughs> Thank you. Enamored with this beauty. So when she became hooked, she react, she reached out her hand and ate the fruit. Vanity opened the door to the original sin. So even though it was an act of disobedience, it was an act. The sin was an act of disobedience, but it was vanity that opened the door. And that's why, you know, it's important that we have to watch our eye gates. We have to watch our eye gates. We have to be careful what we look at, what we see. Because see, even, you know, men, men and women, you know, women can look at somebody of the opposite sex and find them beautiful and can, and then can, and it can turn to lust. Same thing with a man can look upon a woman in a certain way, it could turn to lust. So even though it's, you know, they, you see the beauty of it, the vanity of it, you see the beauty of it. And then, you know, other things start to happen, your body, your emotions, you start feeling things within your flesh that can open the door to lust. Um, He talks about in this present day and age about how Facebook, Instagram, all of them talks about, you know, Facebook itself, Facebook, you know, book of selfies, book of faces, <laughs> you know, um, the same company, Instagram's the same company, Meta, didn't know that. And it's all about photos, um, notably selfies. So you know, social media is all about that. So we have to be careful, you know, posting a lot of selfies and stuff. That's probably why the Lord has, excuse me, I'm sorry. That's probably why the Lord has me tapered down or has pulled me away from going on there as much as like I used to. That is me on Facebook all the time. I mean, probably John, John can even attest to that how we'll be ready to go to bed and I'm on my phone. And he's like, I thought you were ready to go to bed. That's how I am. I'm just scrolling on Facebook, just scrolling on Facebook, scrolling on Facebook. And we're trying to go to bed, but I'm going to bed, but I get in the bed and I open up my phone and start scrolling on Facebook. That's or how bad I'm getting. Or trying to watch a movie and can't even watch the movie because next thing you know, you hear something, you're playing on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I thought we were watching a movie. <laughs> that too. So, you know, so I know that I know that this is God. You know, I know that he's pulling away from a lot of the social media, um, a lot of that stuff, um, because it's occupying my time, and I don't want it to take the place of my Lord, and I have even taken it off my phone. I don't even have the app on my phone anymore, because um, I don't want to be distracted. I take it off sometimes, like, like if I'm doing like a fast, or if I'm you know, take some time out to really just kind of steal away or, or, you know, go before the Lord. I'll take it off my phone so I won't be distracted to go there. Well, this last time, this recent one, I took it off my phone and it's just, I just have no desire to put it back on my phone because I don't want to be, um, I don't want my time to be so absorbed in the social media thing and i will be the first to admit that i at one point i was kind of getting bad with it but i thank god for his deliverance and i thank god for his 
him opening my eyes up to this, revealing this to me and letting me know this is something that is not a good thing for me. So we're grateful to God for that. But um, so vanity leads to fornication, vanity leads to greed, vanity leads to envy, vanity leads to pride and many more sins. So there are so many different things. Paul even talked about the danger of vanity. And, you know, he encouraged the early church not to walk in vanity like those who are in covenant with God. That's on page 170. Why? Because vanity will produce a curse. Vanity got loose for cursed and banished from heaven and it caused Adam and Eve to be evicted from the garden. And Ephesians 4, 17 says there, this I say therefore and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity, futility of their minds. So that covers that. Of course, there's the prayer of freedom. So if you did read this, I pray that you, you know, took time out and pray. If you find yourself in this, I know I did. Um, you know, I'm trying to taper down and taper down on the selfies. I don't take as many selfies as I used to. Lots of times I take selfies, I'm taking them to see how my hair looks. <laughs> I take a picture to see what my hair looks like. Um, but yeah, that's something that um even then when I do, I don't post them all. I don't, I'm not posting my selfies on there. Once in a while I'll do, I'll post a selfie, but it's not like it was, I'll put it that way. So we praise God for deliverance. Envy, the next weapon of mass destruction is envy. Envy is what caused Cain to kill Abel, even though the sin was murder, but it was envy was the opening to that door. Envy opened the door to murder. Proverbs 27 and 4 says, wrath is cruel, anger is overwhelming, but who can stand before jealousy? Envy. Envy is a driving force behind why many people in modern society do the things they do because they desire to appear better than their peers. Ooh. The church is no different. Many churches, ministries, and individual believers make it their priority to keep up with the appearances of their brethren. It, oh, yeah. Yeah, this, this really, this, this, this is my uh, pet peeve and sandbox moment. The overdressing on Sunday, <laughs> the flashy cars, Ministries competing to see who has the largest crowd, you know. So, overdress—it's nothing wrong with wearing your Sunday's best. There's nothing wrong with dressing up to go to church on Sunday. There's nothing wrong with that, you know. But that should not be—that should not be your main focus, you know. Some people like go all out on Sundays and they dress, they wear these, you know, they. They, they make church into a fashion show, which really, 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 um, it really, really just knocked everybody's focus off of God because there was one time where people, and I, and I admit, I was there, I was there, 
I used to buy $300 and $400 suits. Um, they had fur and rhinestones on them and I'll buy the heels and, you know, buy $100 shoes and I couldn't wear hats. I didn't, I wasn't a hat person, but, you know, I really used to dress, you know, all flashy. Um, I got sucked into the fashion show. But I thank God once again that he's delivered me from that. And now it's like the come as you are is truly come as you are. Now I'm not at, I'm not saying, you know, you're going there in some Daisy Dukes and a midriff shirt. You know, you got to have some type of modesty when you come into the house of God, but let's not focus on the fashion show part, you know, going out, spending all that money to wear a suit. And then you get so, you, you, you're dressed up and fancy and your, sho your shoes and your heels and your hats that you don't even want to give God a, a radical praise. You can't give him a praise because you don't want to mess up your suit. You don't want to break your heel or, you know, and, and it, and it kind of puts a, 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 a damper on the flow of the Holy Spirit because people sitting there all dressed up, you know, and they too cute to shout, you know, and it really has, um, caused a um a disconnect from the holy spirit and a lot of churches don't realize that and they and to this day some people are still doing that i can look sometimes i'll look um surfing on social media i'm looking and i'll see people posting you know their outfits and how they look and i'm like oh wow that's nice <laughs> but i mean you know what i'm saying Y'all understand what I'm saying? I mean, there's nothing wrong with dressing nice. There's nothing wrong with it. But don't let that be your God. Don't let that be your focus. And a lot of people have let that become their focus. And they don't realize it. You know, it's it's just, it's, I will go to, I, I will go to church with t-shirt jeans. I'd rather go comfortable that I can worship the Lord in comfort. He's not looking at my jeans and my t-shirt. He's looking at my heart. And if I can wear comfortable, dress comfortable, and just don't worry about trying to impress others, I'm there to worship God. You know, I will go on some t-shirt, jeans, and sneakers in a minute. Yes, that's how we do. That's how we do. We have t-shirt jeans and, and, and sneakers maybe once in a while the lord put it on me to wear something you know a little bit more nice like a casual but nothing all flash, flashy and fancy you know it's not about that and you know even having flashy cars there's nothing wrong with having a nice car but when you got a car your car note costs more than your rent <laughs> There's a problem. <laughs> if you got a car and you can barely um, keep gas in it and pay for your, your apartment or rent, then there's a problem. You need to sit back and see and prioritize, you know. And some people will do that. They will they will go above and beyond their means to get that, that nice 
fancy car, expensive car that they know they can't afford. You know, it, 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 there's got to be some wisdom. You know, you got to use some wisdom when it comes down to um, just livelihood, how you're living. You know, we can't get caught up in the materialistic things because they're not going with you. You can't take them to the grave with you. So why, you know, spend all this on this stuff down here on earth but it's not going with you to heaven and you're struggling, you know, why, why you got to struggle? Why you got to put yourself in such a predicament that you're struggling? So, yeah, you know, yeah. And, you know, and I had the cars, we had the, the fancy cars, you know, you know, but it's like, it, it's not, it's not worth it. It's not worth, it's not worth it. You know, it's just not worth it. And it's not, like I said, there's nothing wrong. If you can afford it and you're okay with it, then God bless you. And that's wonderful. But if you know you are struggling and you know you can't afford it, then you need to prioritize, you know, why struggle? Try to keep up with the Joneses. That's what we used to say. Try to keep up with the Joneses. Trying to make sure, you know, you got the latest and you, you know, got the, got the greatest and then, it, then even with the ministries, you know, trying to see who has the most, the, the largest crowd, who goes, I mean, how many members you got in your church, how many members you got in your church, and you're comparing it to how many people are following you on the social media, how many likes you got, all that, all of that, all of that. It, it brings about a spirit of competition, you know, where you're competing against one another, and then you get jealous and upset when someone starts doing better or doing more you know and it's not only in the church it's in families businesses it's it's rampant in the government envy is everywhere for a lot of people living a good life is not driven by desire to enjoy their quality of life no it's to appear better than their peers so you know so living a good life it's not you know, what they consider living a good life and what I consider living a good life is two different things. Living a good life for me is living a quality life. You know, living a good life, you're, you're worry-free, you, you know, you're making ends meet, you're happy, you don't have all this, you don't have to work all these extra hours and do all this overtime to pay all these bills you accumulated. And, you know, that to me is living a good life. To others, it's like appearing is putting up a facade. Putting up a facade and making people think that you, you got all this money and you don't. Put up a facade and making people think that, you know, you got it like that and you don't. And you, you're happy, you're living and, you know, you're, you're going here, you're going there, you're posting this, you're posting that. I'm over here in the islands, I'm over here and and whatever i'm vacationing over here and i you know and you know it's nothing wrong like, once again there's nothing wrong with showing that okay don't get me wrong don't 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 please don't get me wrong there's nothing wrong with that you want to share some of your happiness but don't make it don't create this picture of you like you know you um what's the word i'm trying to say um trying to say something that don't sound corny and old 
like you rolling with the Benjamins or, you know, you top dog, you know, you know what I'm saying? Uh, I'm on page 172. So, social media is riddled with selfies of people enjoying life to show the world just how good they're doing, living. But the real motivation is to keep up with the Joneses. Yeah, that's what I was saying. Ecclesiastes 4 and 4 says, I saw that all toil and all achievement spring from one person's envy of another. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. When, what people fail to realize is that envy has the potential to poison your body. It's not just a sin of the heart, but also of the body. Mm. The Bible says that envy can be the rot of bones. A heart that gives, a heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. And that was the Proverbs that we had this morning on the prayer call. That Prophet John found, Proverbs 14 and 30, envy, envy. So that's what the Lord was showing me. One thing we know for sure is that envy is what took Jesus to the cross. Envy is what caused the Pharisees, Sadducees, and teachers of the law to despise Jesus' earthly ministry. When I first started studying this sin, it was an eye-opener to me because before I always assumed that religious leaders hated Jesus. The text doesn't say they hated him. It says they envied him. Wow. They envied him. Envy can poison your spiritual senses and cause you not to see clearly to the point you would actually betray the son of God. Pontius Pilate discerned very quickly that Jesus was innocent of breaking any law and he was determined to release him. The Sanhedrin persisted in wanting Jesus convicted as a criminal, made it clear to Pilate that envy was driving them. This sin of envy also part of the Ten Commandments, Deuteronomy 5.21, where God says, do not covet your neighbors, don't covet what your neighbors has. As a crowd, Matthew 17, 17, 18, as the crowds gathered before Pilate's house that morning, he asked them, which one do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus? who was called the Messiah. He knew very well that the religious leaders had arrested Jesus out of envy. They arrested him. So Pilate knew. Pilate saw the saw what was going on. That's why he didn't find any guilt in him. He said, he's not guilty of anything. Y'all want to condemn this innocent man, but it was because they envied him. They envied him. Hmm. Wow. Today, as you read this, you can be set free from envy. The Holy Spirit is here to help set the captives free. Don't allow envy to contaminate what God is doing in your life. Don't open the door that, to that curse. It caused Cain to fall. It caused the Pharisees to stumble. And the Bible says it can also poison your body. Cut it out right now by praying the following prayer. So we're going to go on. Ooh, here's the one, gluttony. The word gluttony, zolel, means to shake out or to squander. This idea is to be a waster by always feeling you don't have enough. 
Gluttony is about having unrestrained desire or desires that aren't under control. Gluttony is about more than food. Though food is part of it, it's really the idea of never being satisfied or content. Today's society is dominated by never having enough. Consumerism is America's greatest flaw. Americans consume more than they give. The political battles we see on television concerning America are all centered on trade, import, and export. Why? Because as a nation, we are gluttonous. Mm. The God of the Bible is no longer the God of this country. Instead, we worship the God of the belly. Woo! Tan us up, ain't he? Philippians <laughs> 319, no, is that 319? Whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mine earthly things. Mm. Gluttony actually has the potential to place God in the minds of people. Gluttony can become a false God causing people to erect false ideologies in their minds around it. Whole countries are dominated by gluttony while others die of starvation. Gluttony was the sin that caused God to judge Sodom and Gomorrah. I know we've been taught about homosexuality was the sin that caused their destruction, but according to Ezekiel, it was gluttony. Okay. Ezekiel 16, 49, Sodom's sins were pride, gluttony, and laziness, while the poor and the needy suffered outside her door. Hmm. That's interesting. Heaven judged the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah harshly because of gluttony. And this sin will always produce a generational curse. See Numbers 11, 31 and 34. Somebody get that, please. Numbers chapter 11, 30, 31 to 34. God places gluttony in a category of iniquity, making it extremely dangerous. The vast majority of our country is overweight and obesity produces unproductive citizens as their obesity causes many to stay home and embrace a lifestyle of laziness that doesn't contribute to the workforce. Also, what Paul said regarding anyone who doesn't work, doesn't eat, now makes it clear why one of the fruits of the spirit is self-control. Anybody got it? Numbers? It was Numbers 11 and what verse? 30 what? 31 and that 31 down to 34. Okay. And there went forth a wind from the Lord and brought quails from the sea and let them fall by as it were a day's journey on this side. And it was, an, and as it were a day's journey on the other side, round about the camp, and as it were two cubits high upon the face of the earth. And the people stood up all day and all that night and all the next day. 
and they gathered their quails. He that gathered least gathered ten homers, and they spread them all abroad for themselves round about the camp. And while the flesh was yet between their teeth, ere it was chewed, the wrath of the Lord was kindled against the people, and the Lord smote the people with a very great plague. And he called that name of the place Kibroth Hatava, because they were buried, because they, because there they buried the people that lusted. I remember that scripture. Mm -hmm. I preached that biting off more than what you can chew. That was my that was my sermon. I remember that. Yep, biting off more than you can chew. Um, gluttony. They were just gluttonous. They didn't. They did. They got more than what they were supposed to get, and they were just like pigging out on it. So they're eating reasonably. They were pigging out on it, and that's when God struck them with a plague. I remember that. So Isaiah 22, 12 through 14 says, Therefore, in that day, the Lord God of hosts called you to weeping, to wailing, to shaving the head, and to wearing sackcloth. Instead, there is gaiety and gladness, killing of cattle and slaughtering of sheep, eating of meat and drinking of wine. Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we may die. But the Lord of hosts revealed himself to me. Surely this iniquity shall be, shall not be, forgiving you until you die, says the Lord God of hosts. Mm. As you can see from this verse, the generational curse can be activated upon households if gluttony has replaced a good work ethic. During the Israelites' journey in the wilderness, they complained against Moses and Aaron by saying, you brought us into the wilderness to die. Oh, the scripture right now and it would be better to die in egypt for at least we had meat to eat the lord was so angered by the murmuring that he caused a severe plague to wipe out the complainers and he used them as a lesson for all to see that gluttony will not be tolerated many israelites died that day and were buried in the name of the place was called graves of gluttony and that's the scripture you just read. Kerbroth Hatava, which means graves of gluttony because they were buried the people of grave meat from Egypt. All right. And that's talks about that covers gluttony. So gluttony is having an unsatisfying, like an unquenchable desire, taking on more than what you need. Um, you can be gluttonous concerning so many different things, <laughs> not just food. Um, you know, uh, what's an example of somebody who's gluttonous? Somebody who has like five cars. Why, why do you need five cars? Why you need five cars? See, oh, how can I say this? We as a people have to reevaluate what is important and what is not important. And I've said this before, and I'll say this again. If every 
rich person, millionaire, billionaire, would contribute a million dollars, we would be so far out of hunger. There would be no hunger. There would be no no homeless shelter. There were people. People wouldn't be in in such a bad position if people would just help. I mean, you got billionaires that got tons of money, but they won't give. They won't give. They won't give. A million dollars is like it's like a dollar to them compared to us. You know, and they're billionaires and trillionaires and, and they have all this money, but then why are they helping like World Health Organizations or why are they helping, you know, Feed the Poor or, or Habitat for Humanity? You know, why are they funding these places that are trying to help people, you know, try to rid of homelessness, you know? If they would just give them, I mean, it's crazy, right? I mean, they have the money, they have the means, but they're holding on to, that's gluttony. They don't need all that money. They really don't. And they won't, and they, their pockets is tight. I just don't understand. And my prayer is that, you know, somebody will say, you know what? I'm not taking this with me. Here, let me give, you know, and I hope that it's handled correctly. You know what I'm saying? That it falls into the right hands and it won't be mishandled. But it's just, it just, it saddens me to know that we got people who are, you know, even church leaders. I mean, there was one televangelist guy, his net worth was 300 million, I think it was, they said. His net worth was 300 million. I'm like, what in the world? He got a jet? Why? I mean, no, I don't, let me take that back. I understand why, but why? <laughs> I mean, it just, it, and, it, and it's not, he's not the only one. There's another one that was a couple hundred million. This one was the work value, net worth was this amount. I'm like, why are these people so rich? And then you got members that are giving their last dime, giving their last dime, you know, to the church. And you, and your pockets are so thick. It's crazy. All right, I'm moving on. Anybody got anything they want to say or add to? You want to join me on my sandbox for a moment? <laughs> Somebody say something now. Y'all too quiet. Hello. <laughs> I'm not. I want somebody to say something. Y'all ain't saying nothing. They're making me hey, feel so. like y'all bored. Well, I hope to become a millionaire so I can help people. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so, but, but you know what I'm saying? I mean, do you understand? You guys, I mean, tell me, how do you feel about it? I mean, do you have the same feelings about it? Do you feel that no, it's my money and I deserve to keep it, do what I want with it? Or, or I mean... 
Would you, if you were in that position, what would you do? If you were a billionaire, would you help? A lot of billionaires do help more, like they do uh, contribute to different organizations and things. I mean. They ain't contributing to the right ones. Because it's a tax write-off. That, and that's one of the main reasons. There is a, a ulterior motive to that. It is a tax write-off. Yeah, but see, that's not even that's not even <laughs> but, doing it out of sincerity of heart. You're doing it as a tax write-off. I'm talking about they're like, you know, like the, the, these world hunger people, you know, like I know. But see, here's the problem even with a lot of those organizations is they wrong. take more of the money for themselves than what they actually do. Um. All that stuff that you see on TV all the time, the people that are collecting money to for starving people in Africa and stuff like that. Who's that one preacher? He goes overseas all the time. He looks creepy. Somebody said he looked like the devil. Um, and you see him on those advertisements all the time for like overseas ministries. And he's Copeland. Got, yes, Copeland. He's got a huge multi-million dollar house and all this stuff. From money from that was supposed to go overseas to help people, but they only have to actually send a percentage. Mm. That is corruption. Yeah, yeah. That's one. That's I don't want to say his name. But that's one that has a net worth three hundred million. Yeah, three hundred million dollars. Ain't got a jet. That's ridiculous. <sighs> I know it's sad. It's sad, but I, I just pray that and there's a lot of people that that are wealthy to see them doing stuff, but to me it's it just seems like it's not enough. Like I mean why are these people taking the money and putting it in their pockets instead of doing what they're supposed to do? Why are they why are they banking off the contributions? It's, it's just such, yeah, it's just such a it's just such a uh twisted, twisted um path, you know, just so crooked and twisted, and it's just sad, you know. But anyway, let's move on to racism. Racism, Numbers 12 and 1 says, and Miriam and Aaron spake against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married, for he had married an Ethiopian woman. Okay. You're probably saying to yourself, what does racism have to do with generational curses? Everything. Racism is a learned behavior that is passed down from generation to generation. It's not something new within the last 500 years, but has been around since Bible times and God has plenty to say about it. Yes, racism will produce a generational curse. So let's define racism. Racism is, can be defined as prejudice, discrimination, or antagonism by an individual, community, 
or institution against a person or people on the basis of their membership in a particular racial or ethnic group, typically one that is a minority or marginalized. The opening verse remains the most outspoken scripture text concerning potential racism. I'm not saying Miriam and Aaron were racist, but it's very clear they were bothered that Moses married a black woman, <laughs> a woman of color who wasn't in covenant with the God of the Hebrews. It makes sense that Moses would marry a black woman as he was raised in Egypt and Africa. Let's look more closely at another portion of the scripture where it's obvious that racism is being described in the text. Okay. Bible says that King David was white-skinned and ruddy. So it makes sense that his son, King Solomon, would also be a lighter complexion and ruddy, which means reddish. My beloved is white and ruddy, the cheapest among 10,000. So we see this verse describing in the words of Solomon beloved, just how far, fair looking he was among all the other men in Israel as he resembled his father, David. Not only was he handsome like his father, but he also had the same sexual issues that his father had. We dealt with this in chapter six. Solomon ended up marrying a, a woman of Egypt, Pharaoh's daughter, and this story can be found in 1 Kings 11, 1 through 10, where we see that after Solomon built the temple in Jerusalem, he also built Pharaoh's daughter a house. This marriage was designed to make a peace alliance between Egypt and Israel. But Solomon really did love her, and the Hebrew women hated it. Not only were they filled with jealousy, it was very every Hebrew girl's wish to be married to the king, but now their hopes were dashed by this outsider because she was of darker skin. They forced her to work the fields. Mm. I am black but comely, O ye daughters of Jerusalem, as the tents of Kedar, Kedar, as the curtains of Solomon, look not upon me, but I am black because the sun hath looked upon me. My mother's children were angry with me they made me the keeper of the vineyards, but my own vineyard have I not kept. That song of Solomon. This verse is very clear. They hated her because she was black, and the history has shown through the transatlantic slave trade in the African-American that this same hatred still exists in modern times, according to the church. Those of darker skin have been forced to work the fields. The text says vineyards. Regardless of where it exists, racism still produces a generational curse. Many groups such as the Ku Klux Klan, say that 10 times, and other racial hate groups claim Christianity as their religion and pride themselves in the separation of the races. They even use scripture to justify these actions. The Bible is clear that in Christ there is neither bond nor free, neither Jew nor Gentile. Christ came to break the middle wall of separation. Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female for all, for you all are one in Christ Jesus.
So, so here it comes, this is how it becomes a curse to you. If you're claiming to be a Christian and you hold this, this still, this belief about separation of races, it can become a generational curse. Because of this particular scripture in Galatians says that we are all equal. There is no bond of free, no Jew or Gentile or Greek, you know, the male or female. We are all one in Christ Jesus. But if you're still believing that there should be a separation, then you're still um, under curse racism. Okay. Which we see, because there's like, you know, uh, Prophetess Joy preached on, on um, preached on uh, Saturday about that, about, you know, black churches and white churches and how we are all one in Christ Jesus, that there shouldn't be any type of division or separation amongst the, amongst the churches, you know? Um, these different types of religions were man-made. It was not Christ's idea to have different types of denominations. It's, this is not anything that God had wanted or Christ came to do. He brought about a reformation. He brought a re about redemption through the blood of through His blood, the redemption to God to redeem us back to the Father. That was His motive. That's all He did. He didn't break down and say, you know, this religion is going to do this, but not this. And then this denomination we here believes in this. We don't believe in that. You know, that's why, you know, you got groups of people who say they're quote unquote non-denominational, like we are. We are non-denominational. We believe what the board says, period. You know, there's no denominational doctrine that we that we adhere to. You know, we have charismatic and Pentecostal roots, but our our church is non-denominational. Amen. Our ministry is non-denominational. So um that's it for tonight. Anybody got any questions or any comments? What do you think about tonight's lesson? Was it helpful? Very good. It was very good. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. One eye opener for me when I was reading the chapter was um, where he said that the Pharisees envied Jesus. That kind of stuck out to me because I, I hadn't really given much thought to that. Mm -hmm. And so I talked about that when I read that. Um, I was just like, you know what? It had to have been because he was doing things that, you know, because, because of what they were calling out, you know, every time he did something, it was just like, well, why are you doing that on the Sabbath? It was just weird. Like, I'm like, why would, out of this man's eyes was open. This man was blind from birth. And you talk about, so why are you doing that on the Sabbath? It was just weird. Every time, <laughs> every time the Pharisees called out Jesus for doing some type of healing, it was just weird and irrational and i'm like it it just made sense that it was jealousy so yeah. i just thought eye opener for me yeah and, and it, it does make sense because here here we got an innocent man that was performing miracles 
and then you had a murderer that was taking people's lives and you told him to free the murderer? This man didn't kill anybody. He killed no one. But yet you want a murderer to go free so that you can crucify this man? That right there was like, wow. He was innocent. He didn't kill anybody. Would you rather crucify him and let the murderer go free? God knows whether or not he went back out there and started killing more people. We don't know. And like you said, you know, why are you not focusing on the fact that a miracle happened? Not excited over the fact that, oh, God is moving. This man is performing miracles. You worrying about him breaking laws. So you trying to get him on breaking laws. Right. It was just weird. <laughs> it was weird. Yeah. Isn't it amazing how you find like, like it's like layers, you're peeling back layers and it's like a deeper thing, another deeper thing that you find in the word of God. It's just amazing. I just love it. I love it. I love when you read something and somebody brings it back and they point this out. Like even with um, Lucifer and the whole thing about pride, when it was vanity, that really was the issue. He was vain. He was haughty in himself. He fell in love with himself. And that's why he felt that he was a God. And he worshiped himself more than he worshiped God. And a lot of people do that even today. When you think about it, people will worship themselves more than they worship God. And it's, it's such a stark difference um, between Lucifer and Jesus, because I just read a little while ago, the Bible talks about Jesus' appearance in a, in a way that he wasn't attractive because it was it so that he wouldn't be desired. And so it just, it was just like a polar opposite. Here you have Lucifer, who's this really attractive angel, beautiful, his vanity cost him. And to make sure that nothing like that will happen again, you have Jesus who didn't look as beautiful so that he wouldn't be desired. I'm, I'm gonna send that scripture to you because I read it, I was just like, oh, wow. So he's not like this attractive, he wasn't an attractive, like super attractive person like some people try to make him out to be. Mm, like he, the wavy hair and the blue eyes. Huh? <laughs> wavy hair and the blue eyes. <laughs> yeah, like they try to pick this <laughs> real attract or black man, this beautiful black yeah. man. Yeah, yeah, but the lot you see that dark skin with nappy hair. You, you know what though? Easy. You know what's interesting? So what? this talks about, you know, I, I, I've heard many people say, oh, Jesus is black and then everybody's black, right? This blatantly said that David was white. White skin, reddish, reddish white skin, yeah. And he's in the genealogy of Jesus. Mm-hmm. But here's the thing. <laughs> we <laughs> he wasn't white, white. 
them pictures have you less. I, I've always said he's kind of probably looked more Middle Eastern, but yeah. that's what I say too. I'm like, I don't think he was like all chocolate skin, uh, you know. No, that's what everybody tries to make him sound. Yeah, I don't know about David. David, what? But about him being really, really dark. I thought David no, David was obviously white because, uh, you know, it describes him as being white and ruddy. You read from being in the sun. White people get red. <laughs> I think that when when ruddy, he had like like reddish undertones, like earth tones. So he was probably like more looking at Shamin picture like that. <laughs> he looked like Shamin. <laughs> like that. She looked like she got like a reddish undertone. Yeah. <laughs> a tan. <laughs> she got a tan. Oh goodness. But yeah, that that was interesting. That was interesting. That was very interesting. I would yeah, definitely see me that scripture about his appearance. I was like, wow. And then we have them pictures with the man, the, the Jesus with the dreadlocks. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. I said, why they made this man Jesus look like that? People be lusting up for Jesus. Yeah. Interesting. Very now that was interesting. See, isn't it amazing? I'm telling you, God's word is so awesome. It's awesome when you take the time out and just like just sit there and read it and just read it over and it's Isaiah 51. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering, like one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. I'm going to send it to you. That was the NIV. Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53? Mm Mm-hmm. Chapter 53? Yep, chapter 53. Verse 1? Uh, let me see I believe so yeah starting at verse 1 but it's Isaiah 53 yeah that was the NIV that I read yeah because when you look at the King James, it says it has no form nor comeliness. It says mm-hmm. um, he hath no form nor comeliness, and comeliness is Hagar, Hadar, which means magnificence, ornament, or splendor, beauty, comeliness, excellency, glorious, glory, goodly, honor, majesty. Okay. And if you read down to verse five, it says, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Yeah. And form means par, which means appearance, beautiful, comely, countenance, fair, favorite form. Yeah. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. Mm. He's despised, rejected of men, men of sorrows, and acquainted with grief. Hmm. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. So it's like polar opposites. You got Satan, who's just 
this attractive being and you got Jesus who's from what we read not really that attractive just you know so that we can't desire him yeah, he's just the regular Joe Schmo no vanity so that vanity wouldn't even take root mm. Okay. Well, that's it. Anybody has anything else they want to say? If not, we're going to go ahead and get dismissed. All hearts and minds are clear. Mm -hmm. All right, Prophet, go ahead and dismiss us. Thank you, Lord, for allowing us to come together once again to learn of your word. Father, we thank you for revealing to us the, the pitfalls and the, the ditches and the traps that the enemy has set up for us. Thank you, Lord, for making us aware on tonight, for opening our eyes and even finding ourselves and, and locating anything that, that is not like you on the inside of us. Father, we ask that you would drive out anything that is not like you. We, we ask that you would deliver us. We ask that you would set us free. And Father, if we're still ignorant of some things, mm -hmm. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would bring it to light, expose it, turn the light on so that it may be exposed so that we can face it, address it, and ask the Lord for forgiveness so that it may be driven out of our temples. Father, we thank you. We humbly submit ourselves to you for you to use us however you please, however you desire. Father, we are vessels and we want our vessels pure and holy before you, Lord. Mm -hmm. So we have to clean us up and purge us with hyssop, wash us with your blood. Father, continue to renew our minds with your word every day as we develop our relationship with you and as we walk more in the spirit. Father, we ask that you would help us on tonight, get some rest, we ask that you would drive out any spirits of insomnia. We ask that you would drive out any demons or any spirits or any witches or warlocks that would try to infiltrate our dreams and cause a disturbance while we're trying to sleep because we know that the enemy likes to disturb our sleeps because you speak to us in visions and dreams. So the enemy would try to disturb us so that we won't hear from you. But we come together and pray on tonight and we say that the enemy is defeated. We rebuke him in the name of Jesus. And I ask you, Lord, that you would allow peace and rest to fall upon us on tonight so that you may speak to us however you please, Lord. We thank you. We give your name the praise, the honor. We ask that you would be with us on tomorrow as we go to our different workplaces. We ask that when we get there, all things will be well. May your presence be with us. May your glory be with us. May peace be with us. May you drive out any spirits of chaos and division in the workplaces in the name of Jesus. Drive out any spirits that would try to um, ruin our day and make our day sad or anything like that. Try to disturb us. Try to get us out of character in the name of Jesus. I pray. Amen. 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 Thank you for joining us on tonight. We pray that you are encouraged and inspired. 
If you desire to be a blessing to the ministry, you may do so by sending a love gift to www.paypal.me forward slash VLCC or through our cash app, which is the dollar sign VLCC Life. We also invite you to stop by our website by clicking on the link. May God bless you and may your day always be victorious.